Well, good morning, Genesis House. We'll stand as a church and let's read Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, look forward to our time together. It's been a year since we've been in this church now, in this location, and we are super grateful for the RPAC Center and the blessings it's been. And as we start a new year, Lord, we ask you to go before us and in your presence and in your power of your spirit and bring changes to us that are necessary the way you see fit. Maybe we won't be totally ready for everything you have for us, but I know you'll prepare us as we go through it, Lord, and we look forward and are excited to what you have for us this year. And may you bless our time this morning and our first sermon in the, in the new year. So, yeah, we look forward to uh, our time together right now and maybe be encouraged and strengthened to uh, serve you more because of what's spoken today. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning and welcome to our first service and our first sermon in the new year. Uh, just so you're aware of what's happening in terms of the future with regards to preaching, uh, we'll be starting a new sermon series in the book of 2 Peter. Uh, after doing 1 Peter, I thought, Dan and I thought it would make sense just to continue into 2 Peter and get a grip on both of Peter's letters. So it just practically made sense and so that's what we'll be doing. And 2 Peter is a shorter letter than 1 Peter. so. We'll probably go through it in about three months or so. But what we'll be doing up till then is just a, a sermon series that are topical. We'll be having some fun doing this. And so we'll just spend the next two, three weeks highlighting different uh, aspects of the Christian faith. And I'll just choose ones as, uh, as I desire uh, week to week. So the theme I decided to cover today was one that kept reoccurring for me throughout the 2018 year. And that is the need and the importance for continued spiritual growth in the life of every believer. And the role that myself, as your pastor, and also the other leaders in this church play in fostering that in your lives. Uh, this process of spiritual maturity has a fancy word in the Bible. You've heard of the word sanctification. Sanctification is, just means to become more mature in the Lord. And that's really what we're talking about. You see, God's desire for us is never to be stagnant in our faith uh, or in our walk or commitment to Him. He wants us to, wants us to be constant learners and continually growing and maturing in, in, in our faith. And several passages in the New Testament speak to this, but I thought I'd just highlight two for you right now. The first one is found in 1 Peter 2, which we covered a few months ago. This is what Peter says, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. 
this is a great passage because the person's already been saved. So you think, well, they're fully mature now. Not necessarily so. You may have been forgiven of sin. And that's obviously the start to the relationship with God. But then he says, I want you now to grow into a full experience of salvation. There's more to be had. I know always, the phrase always is, uh, you know, we hear people say this all the time, well, come as you are, come as you are, right, to the church. That's true, come as you are, but Jesus doesn't say stay as you are. <laughs> You're to come as you are, but not stay as you are. There's growth to be had, and First Peter chapter 2 highlights this. But the one of importance that we just read today is Ephesians 4, 11 13. You know, he, so Christ himself gave himself as apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Now here's the key words, that the body of Christ may be built up. So it's a, it's a process until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God's the, Christ is the standard of our maturity that we're to reach to. So again, once again, we see the spiritual growth in the life of a believer is a process, but it's also to be expected. It's an expectation of the Lord that we, we grow in this way. It's a continuous state of learning then as we, as we live as Christians. But what's of significance to this passage that I, that I want to highlight is the role that leadership actually plays in this. It says here that these positions of leadership have been given to foster this in the life of the church. And this is the reason I chose to speak on this today, because in 2018, a recurring theme came coming, kept coming back to me personally. And that was the, like looking at all of you in, in the church and thinking about you and thinking about, are these people growing? Are they moving forward in their faith? And am I as a shepherd and, and us as elders in training doing a good enough job in fostering that in your lives? And I realized that near the end, especially after the houseboat retreat, there's probably just a little bit more that we could be doing. And so at the end of the sermon, I'm going to share with the opportunities that are going to come in this year for you as a church in order for this to become a reality in your lives. But before, we, before I share those things and what, what God's put on my heart for you, uh, I do want to just talk about the different stages of spiritual maturity in a person's life that exists within the church. Uh, this may be helpful to you because then you can identify where you're personally at on this, on this spectrum and where you see yourself fitting and maybe giving you an idea of like, where you're starting at in 2019 and where you could possibly grow to as the year goes on. And the definitions I'm choosing to, uh, to identify these stages are not my own. So if you don't like the words, it's not my choosing. <laughs> of words, it's the Bible, it's the scriptures, uh, references to these words. And so you're going to see that this is really a continuum from one stage to another, and uh, the epitome being the maturity of Jesus Christ, which I don't think any of us in here at this point would probably say that they attained yet, including myself. But here's the, here's the, here's the phrases that are used in the Bible. So in the bottom we have infant and babe. 1 Corinthians 3.1, Hebrews 5.13. As we move up, we get teacher, which would be Hebrews 5.12, and friend, John 12.15. And in Ephesians 4.13, we have this image, imitator of Christ, which 
we read. He says that to the measure of the mature, sorry, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And actually, we'll find this later. I should have added another verse there. Paul actually says, imitate me. Imitate me as I am of Christ. So that's where the, 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 the things come. And as you can see on the bottom scale of the graph, there's this reference to maturity. So as one, as one moves from infant to imitator of Christ, one becomes more mature. And this is often reflected in character. Well, it always is reflected in character. How do you know someone's moving from infant and babe stage to imitator of Christ? It will always be reflected in their character. But there's really two aspects that are dependent here that show you when you're moving from one stage to another. There's two mandatory things that have to occur in your life and mine for us to move from infancy to the maturity of Christ. And the two things are simply this. One, your knowledge of the scripture. Your knowledge of truth. The commandments of Jesus. And the second one is your, your willingness to apply your knowledge and your and evidence by your obedience to the scripture. So if you want to go from infancy to, to Jesus Christ in terms of maturity, one, you have to increase in your knowledge of the word of God. Two, you have to apply what you know and be willing to obey what you've learned. If, though, if one of those two pieces is not occurring, your growth will be slower. If both aren't growing, if both aren't there, then you're not moving at all. You'll be stagnant. But if, if, you are, uh, if you're applying both of these, you will be moving constantly towards the maturity of Jesus Christ. So I want to start by beginning and looking at the infancy stage and going through some of these passages to show you this. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a follower of Paulus, aren't you acting like people of the world? See, here's the key thing, church. These people are still Christians. In the beginning, in opening chapter 1, he calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. But what's happened is, because they're not growing, they are, they are in this place where jealousy and factions and divisions are occurring, and he calls them infants. But the key here is he says, you're controlled by your sinful nature. Going back to this graph, what are they, what are they missing? They're missing point two. They've, got, they've, they've, been, they've been taught by Paul. These people were founded by Paul. He would have taught them about how to live up the Christian life. But the problem is they're not applying the scriptures they've learned and the knowledge they have. And so it's reflected in disobedience and their application of, of the Christian life. And so they're called infants and babes. Let's look at one, not to do with character, but to do with the knowledge of God and, de and describing infancy and babe-like uh, faith. In Hebrews 5.11 it reads this, there is, much more we could, sorry, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is an infant and does not know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, though 
that who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Again, what's key here is that the infancy and babe-like faith is, is related to the, the knowledge of the Word of God. Back to number one on the graph. These people have been Christians for a long, long time. Um, I don't know how long Paul... I, I, I'd be curious to know what Paul thinks about that. Like, what is a long time in his eyes? Is that five years? Is that 20 years? I don't, I don't know. Like, but, but regardless, he thinks that... Well, that's assuming the author is Paul as well. That's another debate. But many people think Paul is the author of Hebrews. But regardless, the, 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 the writer recognizes that these, these people should be at teacher level now. They should be like you know, halfway up the graph in terms of maturity, but they're not. And the reason is, is they still require other people to teach them the Word of God and to teach them spiritual truth, truth that they should already know. And the key indicator is reflected in their behavior again. At the very bottom, it says, if you, if you, if you knew these things, you, uh, it says you'd be able to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Like, you, this should be reflected in the way you live, uh, based on what you know. So again, these people are, are, should be at a teacher level, but they're still at the infancy stage because of their inability to know the truth. And so they don't know how to live out their lives, what's right, what's wrong. So you can imagine, like, you know, in our church, practically how that looks. You're like, you want to make a financial decision, and you're, par- you're not sure what to do. Well, because you don't know what the Word of God says. If you knew what the Word of God says, you'd be just completely free to act really quickly. Or maybe you don't know how to raise your children in a certain area of life. Again, it's maybe because you're still maybe in infancy stage in these areas, and so you require help in these areas, and so on. But as you mature and you grow and you grow, then these beca- you become a teacher of other people how to raise their kids, as opposed to, say, maybe a student in these areas. And it enrolls in marriage as a husband and wife, and all the, I mean, it just goes, uh, you know, how to deal with that. Uh, like, you know, when someone wants to sue you or has to pull a lawsuit against you. I mean, all these things are just, are, 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 they're all in the scriptures and they all give us wisdom on how to, to live out the Christian life. I want to share you with one story, and uh, Roger and uh, Jeff have already heard this story, but I want to show you, it's unbelievable when I tell you this story. You're going to think, how in the world does this even happen in a church? But I want to show you like a, a story of, a, of someone who, who needs to be taught the basic things about God's Word about a, uh, that happened down in Kentucky and how this person is definitely in the infancy stage of, of understanding. Um, Dan was sharing this at a board meeting. So Dan took Conrad down, who's one of his main elders uh, in the church at Pine Ridge, and they go down to Kentucky and they go to a Bible study with this, uh, one of their old Dan's old professors. And they're sitting in this room and this professor introduces this man who's, I think he was a lawyer, an accountant, he was high up there in the business world anyway and very well respected. And this professor says, yeah, this guy's growing as a Christian and we're going to ask him to lead this study. So they start leading the study and uh, it's about either Paul traveling from one country to another in a, in a ship or it's about Jesus crossing the, 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 the Lake of Galilee in, in a ship or something like that. Anyway, so the, he teaches the, the story about the ship arriving on shore, and then he said, in no word of a lie, the guy says this, and uh, just so you know, man, there were other ships there that day, besides that one, there was fellowship, there was friendship, and he went on and on about all the ships he knew. Listen, guys, like, that is infancy in the word of Christ. I mean, I won't tell you what else was said after that, but... Uh, but this, <laughs> well, I can tell you, we're, we're Genesis. So. 
the, the one of the guys leans over the other and says, I think this guy's full of shit. Yeah, you forgot about the SS fellowship, that's right, yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the kind of thing that was going on in the study. So again, like, you know, like, none of us in here I know are at that level where we, we teach that, but these things do exist in the church. But we may, we may not struggle in this area. There are other areas, though, that we would, you know, dip, have difficulty in, like I mentioned before. And uh, one of the key areas, which I think will be coming up in one of our, our sermon series, is how God leads. How to recognize his voice. Uh, I know that it creates all sorts of havoc in the church when people say, God told me this and God wants me to do this. And when we listen to them, often it's just simply untrue. God doesn't lead in those ways. So again, these, this to show you that these two passages, like Corinthians shows you that, that uh, you, know, you can be an infant by the way you live out your life. And, and, and then Hebrews shows you you can be an infant in the way you understand the word of God. And both of them go hand in hand, though, in moving, because you should be moving forward in growth. And the passage that actually solidifies that both are required together is actually what we just read earlier, but I added a verse. This is 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3. He says, get rid of all your evil behavior. So that's point number two in the graph. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Then he moves to the knowledge of the Word of God. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into fullness of experience of salvation. So how do you grow? You get rid of, you change your behavior, and you increase your knowledge of the Word of God. Those are the two ways to mature. And as we, as we do this, we start to move to the teacher stage of Hebrews 5, and also the friend stage. The friend stage we find in John chapter 15, verses 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Notice the process of movement and maturity for the disciples. Jesus had called them into ministry. Three years has gone by. They've gone from slave. I guess you could add slave to the infant babe stage. Uh, you could, uh, so they move from slaves to friendship. What's the difference in maturity and moving forward? An increase in the knowledge of God. The Father had clearly given Jesus all the commandments and all of the instructions for life he wanted the disciples to know. He gave it to them, and Jesus said, basically, your training's complete now. Your training's complete. He says, all things I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. There was nothing left for Jesus to download to these guys. They knew it all in terms of the, the instruction. What they didn't know was necessarily the application of it all. And, that, and the Pentecost and actually furthered the, the application of Scripture for these guys. But again, the point is this, is that their, their training was complete in terms of knowledge after three years. I don't think that's ever going to happen to you and I. I mean, well, maybe it is. I, I, is it possible to know all the, the teachings of Jesus Christ? I think it probably is. I mean, if, we, if we knew the entire New Testament and stuff, and we knew, we, uh, we knew everything in there in terms of like, what Jesus had said, I think it's possible to know his full instruction for life. But again, the, the key, it's just going to take us way, way longer because he lived with these guys and breathed with these guys like 24 hours a day for three years straight. 
and we get small injections of his teaching here and there, and we don't have him personally to talk to in the same way. So, again, the point being, though, is they moved in maturity from one stage to another because of the knowledge of God that was passed down to them. And because they've received it all, they've moved to friendship stage. So I thought, why don't we take a look at one disciple in particular and how this happened in his life. Let's look at Peter in terms of his spiritual growth, in terms of his knowledge of truth and scripture. How that transformed, uh, even past friend stage, into imitators of Christ stage, into that next category. Do you remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, Who do you say that I am? And he says, You are the Christ. And he says, You're correct that I am the Christ. So he was right theologically in terms of the interpretation from the Old Testament, but he was wrong in application of what the Christ meant. Because Jesus said to them, By the way, I'm going to suffer as the Christ. And what did Peter say? That'll never happen to you, Lord. Never over my dead body will you ever suffer as the Christ. And then Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. You're satanic in your thinking because you, for me not to suffer, do you understand what you're doing to humanity because there will be no sacrifice for sin and my purpose and mission is, is basically null and void. So he had a non-suffering Messiah as part of his theology and that was wrong according to Jesus. So he was right in identification, wrong in application. But this is where it's encouraging for you and I. We see a massive shift in his understanding about the, the need for the Messiah to suffer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. This is him talking to you and me. Peter says this, like years later, probably, probably 20 years later. says this, If you do what is right and suffer for it, and patiently endure it, this finds paper with God. For you've been called for this purpose, and since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in the steps, who committed no sin, there was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he had uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now watch this in terms of the suffering. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live into righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. A total shift in the theology of what it means for the Messiah and what his purpose and role was. He's a suffering Messiah, and that is good and right and required in his theological changing. Here's this guy going from infancy, babe, slave stage to into the imitators of Christ because of his understanding of the, the knowledge of the Messiah. How about application and obedience to truth in terms of affecting his life? Well, one of the biggest, the biggest problems and character flaws in Peter was pride. He believed he was the stuff. He constantly thought he was better than everybody else. And two occasions in Luke... An argument breaks out in terms of who was the greatest amongst the disciples. And, from, and, and it says the disciples. It, Peter would have been included in that group. There was no one excluded that day. Peter directly addresses this issue of pride in terms of greatness amongst the disciples. But this superiority complex even continued after Pentecost. See, he had a skewed view of the Gentiles. He thought as a Jew he was better than a, a Gentile. People like you and me. We see this in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Peter had to be given a vision from God that it was okay to enter a Gentile home. He had to say that he basically gave him a vision saying, just so you know, it's going to be alright for you to go into this Gentile home. He didn't understand the vision at first, but he got it later on. Why does he give him a vision? Because Peter's not going to go into his home because he believes as a Jew, he's better than they are. 
And so he's not going to go into his food and, God forbid, defile himself by entering this house. So what does Peter do? After receiving this new training, his behavior changes. He shows up at Cornelius' home. And he enters the house and, and uh, preaches the full gospel to the family. And we see the Spirit coming upon them, the beginning of the Gentile inclusion of the church, and so on. So again, we see a change in his character based on uh, a vision of new teaching from God. He changed the way he lived. Now granted, he did have one more blunder in Galatians chapter 1, uh, when he fell into hypocrisy again, but as a general statement, he made a shift. So I think the key for us, church, here, that these disciples were always, these disciples, when they committed their lives to Christ, were Christians. We're not saying that they, being a babe or infant is not saying you're not a Christian. You are a Christian. The difference is, again, you just haven't maybe learned to the degree that you need to, or there's some character issues that need to be worked through. But the encouraging thing for us is to look at the life of the disciples, look at the life of Peter, and see that it is possible to make changes, and it is possible to, to mature and move forward. And I've seen this in many of your lives. In reflection of two, like the last year, I've seen this in many of you, and I, I, I don't have time to go through everyone, but I thought I'd just highlight a few. I mean, I've, uh, you know, I've been able to walk in terms of knowledge of Scripture and application of Scripture with the Molyneux in terms of parenting, and seen them make great, moving huge strides forward with Haley. I've seen changes in marriage, and I can use this publicly because they made a public declaration, but Jordan and Rochelle gave their testimony about their marriage in their baptism, and talked about how, you know, like, how things are going. And is things perfect? No. But, but, but are things better? Yeah. Are they moved forward? Is divorce off the table? Things like that? Yeah. There's, there's been incredible changes in their lives in marriage, an application of knowledge of the Word of God, and application of the Word of God. I look at finances. I mean, I, I just last week, Dave, Dave gave a testimony. He said, you know, we've, we were tithing family, but we've made like maybe even more of a commitment this year than normal in whatever ways they, whatever that, like, you know, I don't know exactly what that looked like for you, but you, you said, I had the best year in my business we've ever had. I mean, those are, this is exactly what we're talking about in these areas. I've seen many of you work through issues of anger, work through issues of anxiety, depression, Seen many of you adopt more of a servant heart. We talked about the need downstairs for more help, and many of you stepped up and, uh, and do so. So again, like this is when we see this happening at Genesis House. It's great. And I'll I'll leave you with that. I'll finish here, but I'll talk to you about one story at Western Conference that happened to me in uh, Regina, uh, or Saskatoon, whatever it was, about three months ago. Our, our church planning director, Jared, he gets up and he starts. Um, talking about church plants and how they're doing. And he starts talking about the church, church growth in terms of conversions to Christ. And I'm all for that, and I, I would love to see more of that happening at Genesis House. But at the end of the whole thing, I put up my hand, and I said, I have a question for you, Jared. I said, uh, I said how, do you measure growth in any other way? And I said, because here's the problem. I said, from, from, intent, from all intents and purposes, Genesis House is a failure in 2018 when it comes to conversions. We are, if you look at just pure conversions. But I said, I wouldn't consider our church a failure in terms of sanctification. I said, I started giving stories of just, I didn't mention names, and he wouldn't know anybody anyway, but I just said, this is happening in our church, this is happening in our church. I started sharing stories. 
Just to say, like, we have to look at church growth in other ways. Maybe, maybe some of us are at the Judas stage. But because of, because of this maturing process, I've moved to maybe like a teacher-friend stage. And those, you know, so the, the, the ability to fall away and stuff has been removed because of, of, of these things. So again, he, he received my comments well and didn't disagree. But it was just, you know, just wanted to point that out there. That conference that it's not fair just to look at conversions to judge the success, however you measure that, of a church. There's other factors that play into this. So the final level then, after you move from teacher-friend stage, of course, is going to be imitator of Christ. And there's two examples of this in Scripture. There's two examples. The first one is the Apostle Paul himself. This is what he says here in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And people think that sometimes Paul's conceited when he says this. He's not conceited. He legitimately means it. He says this, Be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. What an incredibly bold statement. You know, if you want to know where, how we, you know, could, could you and I, like, stand up here and say to all of you, and, you know, if I was sitting there and you say to me, just copy me in my life and my faith. <laughs> I don't think any of us would probably have the courage to say that. Maybe you do, and, and, that, and I'd be proud of you if you did, because that means you're at the final stage of maturity. But here's the point. If you, can't, if you can't say what Paul said, that's a good under. Ask yourself, why? Why couldn't I say that like Paul said? Because that's maybe where you, the things that you can start praying about and studying and learning about in the Word of God that can propel you forward in 2019 to the next level of maturity. Paul also makes this statement of Timothy in Philippians 2.19. This is a powerful statement. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they will all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You know how many people Paul is connected to in terms of ministry? How many people were working with him in ministry? A ton of people. And he says, I've got no one like Timothy. Why? The, the key characteristic here is his genuine concern for other people, which means that he's selfless in love. He's selfless in his love. And Paul says, I can send this guy to you. There's no one like him. That's an incredible statement. So, we've made it clear over and over that spiritual growth is a process, that we're to be in uh, a state of constant learning. But now I want to talk to you about why spiritual growth is necessary, why it's so important that we move forward. The reason is simply this. By default, your thinking and my thinking is not God's. Our default way of thinking is not the Lord's way. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, when you get stagnant, when you get lazy in, in your commitments to advancing your spiritual life through studying scripture, applying scripture, and all these things, you will move into a holding pattern and it sets the table for you to drift away just ever so slowly like a piece of wood going off the, the beach into the ocean. And eventually, if at the worst case scenario, it can even lead to falling in certain areas. Maybe even walking away from the Lord completely. 
This is why Jesus was called to us in Luke is so important. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus himself understood that it's a daily commitment to, to serve him in these ways. It's not like a weekly or monthly. It's a daily decision to, to live in this way. And if we don't, we'll put ourselves in harm's way to become stagnant and to, into, 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 into basically drift away in certain subtle ways. So it's never wise for you and I to assume that we're strong enough in our walk and we know enough now to make it through life in Christianity and with Jesus Christ. This is not wise to do that. I know for me, it happens to me every time. If I become lazy in my commitments in terms of study, in terms of prayer, constant reading, things like that, my marriage will start to suffer. Happens every time. I'll fall into depression that much quicker. Happens every time. Every time. Someone, someone might say to me, well, Andrew, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to do any work because the Spirit does all the work in our lives. If that was so, Jesus could have come to earth at 30 years old, entered into ministry, and two weeks later died on the cross. Because he came to die for sin. He could have come immediately, died within a month, and said, I'm giving you the Spirit to lead you through life. Why didn't he? Because he had a lot of information to how to live up the Christian life to download to the people so that when the Spirit came, the Spirit would use that information to help them walk through life. That's why in John he says, I've given you the helper. He will bring to remembrance all the things that I've taught you. The Spirit doesn't create, give you new information. The Spirit give, regurgit, doesn't, yeah, doesn't produce new information for you to know. The Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that's how you move forward in the, in the Christian life. So yes, the Spirit is extremely important and is an extreme benefit for you and I to have. But He uses our knowledge of the Word of God as the way He leads us into the decisions that we make in life. So the bigger our filing cabinet is in terms of Scripture, the more the Spirit can lead us and help us through life. So again, it's important to remember though, regardless of what stage you and I are at, we're still a disciple if we've given our life to Him and we've received His mercy and forgiveness. So being a babe or being a friend or being an imitator is not a measurement of your value to the Lord or whether you're a legitimate Christian. It's, you still have the promise of forgiveness of sin. So it's just to say though, there is a place though that the Lord wants us to grow to and we want to get to the highest stage as, life, as, the, as the years go on. We don't have this at our church, but a lot of churches have things like uh, Young at Hearts or like, you know, like, I, I, that's the E-Freeze version, but a lot of churches have like an elderly kind of, um, sort of like a program, I guess, for like the people who are like in their retirement age and over, where they sort of congregate together and sort of like encourage one another. It, what we're saying here is this, is that as a younger person, we should be able to walk into that room and we just sit at the feet of these people in awe as they teach us about how the knowledge of the Word of God and to live under their, like, their application of the scriptures. That's what, that's what we're literally saying here. Like, but you, know, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're still drinking milk. We should go into these elderly groups and, and say, please teach us everything you can about Christianity because we need to know. That's, that's the, really the, the, the fullness of application what this would look like if it really came down to it. Granted, again, living Christians, I mean, if they just received Christ at 80 years old, well, of course not, but you get the point. 
A lot of these people have been Christians for 40, 50, 60 years. So it should reflect in their knowledge of Scripture and in the way they teach you to live out the Christian life. So I'll finish with this. The role of leadership in pulling and in helping foster this. In Ephesians chapter 4, we saw this, right? He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip His people for works of service to build them up. And the stature or the maturity level that we're looking for from leadership is to bring everyone to the level of Jesus Christ. That's the role of leadership. Yes, there's an onus on you and I individually to, to foster this in our own lives, but the church does have a role to play in where this happens. And there's, there's two uh, texts in Scripture that are really significant for me that are worth... There's lots, but these are two that just really hit me as I was thinking about preparing for today that are of interest. And one is in Acts 19. Uh, do you remember Paul? He's in Ephesus, and he's, he's going through the city. He shares the gospel, and many reject his message, but many receive him as well, and a mini revival breaks out. What's the first thing that Paul does in Ephesus after the revival breaks out? He moves to a place called the School of Tyrannus. And what does he do there? He takes the new converts, and he reasons with them daily, and he took them there for two years, and he taught them the Word of God. New converts in this city, the first thing he does is sets up a school, teaches them for two years and meets them daily for the purpose of teaching them both the word of God. And it says this, quote unquote, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul knows that this is necessary, a body, a, a body of teaching, a school is necessary for these people, to, they're forgiven of sin, but they need to propel forward in their Christian faith. Another one is Acts 11 in Antioch. Now Antioch to the Gentile world is what Jerusalem was to the Jews. It was kind of like the, like the Jerusalem is the center of sort of Christianity in the Jewish world. Antioch is the center of Christianity in the Gentile world. And missionaries come down to Antioch. They spread the gospel. A revival breaks out and huge numbers come to Christ. News of this reaches Jerusalem. And so they send Barnabas down to Antioch to confirm that the Gentiles actually heard and received Jesus Christ. Barnabas recognizes that they actually did. What was Barnabas' first move after finding out that the Gentiles had received Jesus Christ in huge numbers? He leaves town and goes and finds Paul. Why? He brings him back to Antioch and Fritz says, quote-unquote, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. <laughs> Barnabas didn't say, well, you're forgiven. You've received the Holy Spirit. You're good. Yeah, in terms of forgiveness of sin, for sure. In terms of being a legitimate Christian, for sure. But you're not ready to live out this Christian life. You'll get eaten alive out there. The world's a nasty place. You're going to get eaten alive if you don't grow and it requires teaching. He went and got Paul. Man, I would have loved to have been part of that class in Tyrannus. Part of that class in, uh, in Antioch. Six months with those guys would do more than four years at Bible college. It'd be incredible. So why do I share all this? Well, there's some new directions for Genesis House in 2019. 
These are things I've learned that God's been teaching me uh, throughout the year that I want that made it obvious that we need to make better opportunities for spiritual growth at this church. So here's what's going to be offered at Genesis House. One, we're going to be dividing the women's group into two, into two categories. We have, we have uh, in the women's group, we have uh, people all over the spectrum in this uh, process of spiritual growth. I'll just pull it back up on the screen. We have girls all over the spectrum on this. And it's difficult, I think, for, for everyone to, to glean the same amount of information and to learn to the same degree because there's, all the women are at different stages of life. We'd like to divide the group into two and so that we can help foster everyone to the next level of teaching. So, or the next level of maturity, I should say. So we're going to be dividing in the group, having one group here and one group here. And then the goal is to move people from infancy stage to teacher stage, from, friends, from teacher stage to imitators of Christ stages. And that's the purpose and goal of the group. And I'll be giving you more information on that as, as we go along. So that's one thing I'll probably start probably uh, maybe near the end of February or January, beginning of February. But we're going to be doing this to foster because I feel like some of the women are getting lost in, in the group because it's, it, there's been people who are Christians for one year, six months, or maybe even two years. But then we have girls who have been Christians for 20. And there's just, it's impossible for, for, um, for all the questions and, and, and uh, things of life to be answered and dealt with fairly in an hour and a half meeting. And some of the girls maybe even too, like uh, if you're like a new Christian, or even if you've been an old Christian who have never been discipled, the problem is, is that there's, uh, there's so many questions you have, but maybe a little bit of intimidation to ask them because you just don't want to sound or feel stupid in a group like that. And it's not that you are, it's just, you're, it's just, it's just that there's been never any discipleship. Kind of like the Hebrews, these people have been Christians a long time, but they've never been discipled, so therefore they don't, they should be teachers, but they're not. So we want to move the girls to the next level of maturity. That's what we want to do. In the men's, we want to do a process of growth as well. And we've already implemented it, but we've been doing this, uh, this uh, series from Dallas Theological Seminary, Bible Study, Methods, Interpretation. That's one of ten books. But we're, we're teaching everybody how to study the Word of God and how to move forward and how to become a, a self-feeder in terms of like from, from, from doing these things. Some of us have experience in, in sort of like studying and stuff, but this takes it to a whole new level. And we're working through this to, to learn so that we can all have the, the ability to maybe uh, study so we can learn for ourselves, but also teach. Everyone in the group is going to, at some point, do a five or 10 minute presentation to one another as they practice and learn these methods. So that hopefully one day you can stand up here and just even do like a 10 minute, 15 minute, short uh, sermon or whatnot. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes like me, but just to share the things that the Lord's been teaching you. And hopefully we'll move on to other things like the New Testament and Old Testament in terms of a systematic theology of walking through all the major players in the Bible and all the major events in, in history that way. So again, the, the men's group is though moving through a process of growth. Uh, we're doing elders training, uh, walking through the characteristics, but again, even though we've got three guys who want to aspire to be, if any other man in this church aspires to be an elder, join our group. Join our group. The whole thing is working through the characteristics of T Titus and Timothy. 
walking through them all, what do they mean? What does it look like to actually live out these characteristics of a man? And how do you move forward in your faith in those ways? One-on-one -on -one time with me is always available. Some of you already meet regularly, uh, consistently, but uh, there's always ability to meet other people, uh, or maybe not just me, but other elders. If you want to work through issues of life, phone us. We're, we're available. Always, yeah, there's, there's, those are, again, some of you might think, well, I can't meet so-and-so, or I can't call so-and-so. Yes, you can. The church is open for those things. But here's the key in your part. Here's the key in your part. It's, uh, you have to be, you have to be uh, apply the hat principle to your life. Hat means this. Hungry. Available. And teachable. Ephesians 4 says the leaders are to, to foster these things in a person's life. But we're not to, to strong arm anybody into those <laughs> meetings and into those opportunities. If you're hungry for the, the Lord, you're available in terms of your time and you're teachable, then we can work together to foster spiritual growth and move us through one stage to the other. I'll give you four lessons. This is very much a repeat of what's been said over and over. Alright, first lesson is this. That God's expectation is that spiritual growth takes place in the life of every believer. Again, if we are stagnant at times and stuff, it doesn't mean we're not Christians. It's just not wise to stay at the same place spiritually because we can easily drift away. It can set the table for all sorts of trouble. But again, his expectation is that we do grow. Ephesians 4 makes that clear, right? First uh, Peter chapter 2 makes that clear, and so on. Even Jesus, he says, you move from slave to friendship. Jesus didn't, again, come, die in two weeks and leave and say, you're okay, you got the Spirit. He's like, no, there's an expectation, there's a body of teaching you need to learn before I can leave, because you need to know how to live out this Christian life. He wanted them to grow, not just be forgiven. Second lesson. Spiritual growth can only take place when one increases their knowledge of God's Word and walk in obedience to it. Right? The two things for spiritual growth. You have to increase your knowledge of the Word of God, and then you have to walk in obedience to it. And again, character is key, because those two things shape and change your character. That's how you measure maturity. If you're to imitate Christ, that means you, you're a copy, a carbon copy of Him in the way you speak, in the way you think, in the way you act. So those two things can only happen if increasing your knowledge of Scripture and increasing in your obedience to Him. That's the only way growth will take place. Third, church leadership has an integral role in fostering spiritual growth. We do have a role to play. Ephesians uh, says that the school of Tyrannus was set up Antioch was set up. The, the disciples were discipled for three years by Jesus Christ. And again, that's why we're changing things up to some degree at Genesis House. We're continuing in the things that we're doing well, but we're adding new opportunities for you because we recognize that there needs to be more done on our part as well. Finally, spiritual growth is a process and involves a life of constant learning. There's a phrase I love, getting older is inevitable, maturity isn't. Okay, we're all going to get older. We're all not necessarily going to mature. 
That's why we often say to people, you're acting like a kid and they're 40 years old. What are we saying? We're meaning, well, we, we are 40, but we expect you not to act like you're six, but you're acting like you're six. Right? We all say it, even in the secular world we say that. But it's true in the spiritual realm too, right? We're like, man, like, you know, there's, um, we're getting older and we're still Christians, but there's sometimes in life we're just not maturing in certain areas of our Christianity that God wants us to pr propel forward into. So again, it's a, it's a process and it's, and, it's a, and it's a life of constant learning. In fact, the word disciple means learner. If you want to know that. What does disciple mean? It means learner. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you're a constant learner. And it's possible to be a babe in one area and a, and a teacher in another. Or you could be an infant in this stage, but an imitator of Christ in another. So maybe you're incredibly selfless in your love and you're an imitator of Christ to a full degree. But maybe in another area, uh, you're a babe just because you have lack of, of, of training and, 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 and knowledge and so on and so forth. So again, like we, we have to analyze our lives after this message and go, what, what does God want from us? Where would we have to, to be an imitator of Christ in all areas, where would we have to mature? And that's a great starting place for us as we walk forward into the new year. So let's have a time of discussion.